Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Welcome to another episode of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. I'm your host, Chris Walker, and today I've got a special guest host with me um, introducing uh, Veronica. Veronica, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me on this evening. Hey, you're welcome. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Awesome. Doing pretty good. So on tonight's episode of We Are Seeking Strike podcast, uh, we are going to um, kind of go back and talk a little bit about the Hartford Athletic results. Uh, there were definitely some points to that game, or some even some points that were made um, even after that game that that we wanted to kind of get into and talk about a little bit, um, just as it deals with the way the team is currently running. Uh, then we'll also jump into the Rio Grande Valley uh, results, the most latest match of New Mexico United back on uh, back on Saturday, uh, the uh, New Mexican True New Mexico True Heritage uh, New Mexico True Night also kind of uh, collides with Hispanic Heritage Month as well. We'll talk about that match. Uh, we'll talk about the the match results. We'll talk about some of the events that were happening uh, throughout the night and even leading up to that at that point. And then lastly, we'll get into um, a bit of a preview uh, for San Diego Loyal, the uh, upcoming match for New Mexico United um, on the Sunday um, of this of this week coming up. And, uh, and then we'll kind of just wrap it up. So, but before we get too far uh, into things, I wanted to... Um, give our listeners a chance to get to know our guest through a game of with within striking distance. And this is kind of like a, uh, this isn't, or this particular rendition of the game is more of like, maybe just like a, a little bit of storytelling, but just a chance to kind of get to know you kind of unlock some earlier memories perhaps. Um, and so it's properly themed. It is October. We are going to kind of visit some time of like the Halloween months. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of I'm not I, I wasn't a big Halloween kid. I don't think growing up. I mean, who didn't like to dress in their favorite characters or costumes? That that was fun and getting candy and such. But I can't say that I waited every waking moment for it because I I know Christmas mm-hmm. definitely did dominate. Um, so to start off, uh, what was your favorite Halloween costume, uh, growing up? Like the favorite one that you got to wear? 
Wow, that definitely does take it back. Um, well, I actually grew up in a Christian home, so we didn't always necessarily celebrate Halloween. <laughs> but um, I'm going to say, you're, you're going to laugh at this, my most favorite costume was actually when I got to dress up as a witch. Really? Like, so, so with a cool pointy hat and the uh, pointy hat, pointy shoes, and um, you know, black long dress type of thing, and uh, semi spooky makeup. So, and so and so so growing up in a Christian home and not getting to necessarily partake in Halloween, but you got to pull mm -hmm. off a witch. How did you pull this off? Was this did you like link it to the Wizard of Oz? I mean, how'd you do this? Like TV characters? Like what? no, it was it was simply visiting Auntie's house. <laughs> oh, yeah, different set of yeah, rules. Auntie's house and completely different set of rules. And you know, cool Auntie's like, so what do you really want to be for Halloween? And I was like, you know what? I always really wanted to do this, and she was more than happy to make it happen. So nice. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. Right on. Um, totally cool. What was your favorite candy to get in your in your Halloween bucket? Okay. So my favorite candy, which is to get during Halloween, which is still my favorite candy to get, would be the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay. So just the standard cups? Standard peanut butter Reese's Cups. Yep. Weren't they smaller? And, 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 um... My second favorite is going to be the ghost peeps. Oh, the the ghost peeps, like the marshmallows? The marshmallow peeps, yeah. The, the Okay. See, I wasn't really... I'm not a real big peeps fan. Like, it's like marshmallow to an extent, but then I think I think the a part of it that doesn't appeal to me is that I was always trying to eat the thing like completely like the whole thing like you know like you just try to stuff the whole ghost peep in your mouth because you know you never I never knew which part I would bite right so I got kind of sick of right. eating those ghost peeps after a while because you know and I think I just discovered that it's just like the Easter just a different different color different look you know um, exactly and now they have like they don't just have like the Easter peeps, they have the Halloween peeps, the Christmas peeps. So now they've gone a little bit crazy with it. But back in the day, that was like, you know, I will. And here's the funny thing is that half the time you weren't allowed to eat that peep because that peep came wrapped differently. Uh -huh. So, you know, if you had the parents that check the candy, then, you know, that was a peep that went in the trash. I mean, you know, you and I having talked off of line before um we're of the mm -hmm. same age so i mean did you ever like really think that you were going to get like a razor blade or drugs in your candy i mean let's just be honest right <laughs> you know i i never did i never did actually think that but you know um parents being you know always cautious right it I was mean, always the the anything that was semi-open or not in a like tightly sealed thing got an inspection and if it didn't pass it got tossed away so half your half your hard work on halloween got thrown away half the time right 
I mean, I really only thought that they said that because they wanted to go in there and eat your candy. Like, you know what I mean? Eat your Cause, candy, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, I for me, I think my favorite candy to get was anything that came in a large amount. Like, that was basically it. Like, yeah. Like, the double bubble um, shoots where it's like six or seven gumballs in a, in a thing. I like uh-huh. those. Um, I think I think lollipops were always a positive, and yeah, definitely Snickers. And if you got the full size bars, like then the house was cool. Except for the Tootsie Roll lollipops. I loved those. Those always kind of made me. Those always kind of made me kind of mad because I wanted the bubble gum. Oh, uh, see, but then like, sometimes you'd be like all excited and it's a Tootsie Roll in the middle. I grew up with those Tootsie Roll pops. Where if you got the Native American gent on there, with like and they mm-hmm. had like the star, like you could, you supposedly could take that to the store and get a free one. I never really, really yeah, and I never really took like I never took it in, you know, to get that free one. And then one time I remember I had like ten, like I was just saving them, and I went mm-hmm. to the store and it must have been like years later maybe. And I was like, hey, I'm trying to get the free like Tootsie Pop, and they're like. They're all, oh, they're all, we don't do that. They're all, that was, that's a myth. And I was like, what? It's like, because I mean, that's a really yeah, cool. I can't say I've, I ever heard that, but that was the thing. Yeah, that was the thing. Like you literally would totally like open the wrapper and you would, that was the first thing everyone did. They looked for, they looked yeah. for the chief. Yeah, they looked for the chief. And he, if he was like <laughs> shooting an arrow and, and the, the arrow had a star at the end of it, like that was, you got your free Tootsie Pop. Like that was it. And, uh, you know, but we never really got them. I think some people, some people probably like awarded us them when we were younger. But then, older in life, people mm-hmm. were like, "Dude, that's not real." Like, you know, like people just let you do that back in the day. But see, like that's what I would do. Like, I would literally open a store and only have those, and be like, "Be like, hey, bring back the wrapper, and you'll get a free one." And I totally would just die on that hill. <laughs> what was your least? Yeah, that was. I'm sorry, least, go ahead. Oh, what was your least favorite candy to get as a kid? Like, because you know there's always like the lady uh, candy. It wasn't candy. It was the person that gave you the box of raisins. Ooh. Go on. That was that was the thing. You always have like the one, the one, and it's on on our street. I remember it was like the one old lady that I think she legitimately thought that raisin was a natural candy or something and she was like the sweetest thing ever so we would all like we would all go to her house anyways because you know um she was just the sweetest sweetest old lady I've ever known in my life but yeah her candy of choice was raisins wow yeah I just I think for me like it was terrible was that Oh, I mean, it's bad. I, I don't think I ever got any like raisins or anything in my candy. I think mm-hmm. I just didn't really like good and plenty. Oh, okay. I really wasn't. Those kind of taste like wax. Well, it was like that's like adult candy. Like good and plenty is like they're like a little pill capsule looking shaped candies. They're like purple and white, and like you bit yeah. into them and they're like black licorice. Yeah, that's terrible. 
So I didn't really like those. And then there was this other one I didn't like. It was, um, what was the other? Oh, those orange circus peanuts. I was never a fan of those. Oh, like they were like um, marshmallow. Yeah. Right? Those? Yeah. So, yeah, I just, I wasn't. I have never, I have never tried one of those. Yeah, I just was never really into those things. They just had a weird taste. It sounds terrible. Well, I mean, you're a marshmallow fan. You might like them now, a days in your life. Um, but I just was never a fan of the circus peanuts because maybe because I thought that they were going to actually taste sweeter than they do. Hmm. Um, at what age did you switch over from? Because I know you said that, like, when you were at your aunt's house, you got to, to other rules, but was there ever a point when you switched over? Um, or do you remember the time when people were switching from buckets to pillowcases? I mean, we always used a bucket, the little little jack-o'-lantern bucket. Or, you know, um, every year McDonald's would have the, um, they, they'd have like the Happy Meal little bucket thing that they would do. Oh, yeah, they have and the ghost, the pumpkin, and the Frankenstein. The which one or whatever. Yeah, the purple one. So normally, like, that was kind of what everybody used. Um, everybody had an actual bucket, or I don't really remember anybody using a pillowcase for for candy. Yeah. Yeah, it was like. And once it filled up, <clears throat> once it filled up, you give it to the older person that was with you, so they can put it in your your backup bag. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember kids having pillowcases. Maybe when I was like in my preteens, just before I was a teenager. I remember kids rolling around with with actual pillowcases, and it meant, like, more candy, essentially, like a longer shift. And the older kids especially had the pillowcases because it was, like, a natural... Really? Yeah, because it was... Because you weren't going to see a kid who was, like, 13 or 14 rolling around with, like, a bucket pail. Like, you know, so their thing was, like, pillowcases because, you know, that was... Oh. That was more candy. They were older and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's how they did it. So um, I don't remember ever taking a pillowcase, to be honest. I think I stopped trick-or-treating at like 12. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I think I was about 10 or 11 when when I um, when I stopped. And then all of my cousins are pretty much about the same age. So there yeah. really wasn't anybody to take after, you know. Right. Um, yeah, I had a younger sister and so she wanted to go out, but there was a point when she wasn't going out anymore. So then I was just giving out candy. Um, mm -hmm. let's see here. Oh, okay. What are some of your favorite scary movies or are you a scary movie fan for that matter? Um, I go back and forth. I, I, oh gosh, what is that movie with the kid that um, he, I guess he's Satan and 
is it Dominic? No, it's not Dominic, is it? Is it, um, man, okay. So let me just start off with like the most traumatizing movie of my childhood, which is a horror movie. Okay. And that movie is called um, Dolls. And it's literally about a bunch of dolls that murder people. Ah, uh, okay. Like, it's one of those, like, culty, classic 80s flicks, right. which is, like, um, you know, which, in my opinion, are, like, some of the coolest, like, most absurd movies, is anything from the 80s. Because um, I think that's when they were kind of really just using their imaginations to create, you know, um, pretty much unseen scenarios and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, definitely that movie Dolls was traumatizing. I remember, um, and I watched it because one of my older cousins had put it on for all of us. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you're a kid and you get to watch like the movie you're not supposed to watch, right? Um, so we, we're all acting tough in like, this is not scary at all. And of course I get back home and I first thing I walk into my room and I have like all my dolls, including, um, you know, what did I have? I had, um, I actually had a He-Man and a She-Ra and, you know, Barbie dolls and things like that. And I literally grabbed every single one and I just put them in the drawer. And I was like, you guys get to live in here for a little bit. Man. Yeah. Talk, talk about um, that's like traumatized. That's 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 legit traumatizing right there is is when your dolls come alive and, and they kill people. That's yeah. That's that's definitely something kind of traumatizing. Um yeah, I, I would say I kind of do enjoy the classic horror flick. Um, you know, anything that they make modern times is not really uh, mentally or psychologically frightening as it was back in the day, you know. Um, you get a couple of jumps here and there, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I, um, I'd say I wasn't much of a scary movie person. Like, for the most part, I just didn't see any reason to need to, like, excite myself in those ways. Like, um, mm -hmm. so I was just never really someone that's like, yeah, let's go see the latest slasher film or whatever, you know, like. Right. I mean, I probably was more in it for, like, the fact of, like, trying to make other people jump or, you know, like, the kind of the prankster. Like, if there's anything, like, I do remember when I was younger, it was all about watching the original it and you know mm -hmm. like i remember like the biggest thing was to get balloons and pop them right when like it's like it gets to like the shower scene or whatever and like yeah i never really had watched the full movie to really understand it until i watched it later on in life and then i was like damn dude mm -hmm. that's why the balloon was like such a big was such a big deal back then um i think the movies that i watched when it came to like scary movies for the most part, because I wasn't really a big Jason or Michael Myers watcher when I was younger. It was the Nightmare and El the Nightmare and Elm Street movies with Freddy Krueger. Oh yeah, those are good. Mm -hmm. Those were the movies that I watched um, when I was younger, and and every Halloween there was always someone dressed in like the uh, the sweater with like the cool claw, and I always wanted that claw too because like. It was a cool glove you put on and had the glove, the, the claws on it. And but my mom, and my I, I believe my parents would not ever really let me dress like Freddy Krueger. Uh, <laughs> so I think for the most part, like when I was when I was growing up, it was just like I remember dressing up as a Ninja Turtle one time. 
I remember dressing up as like He-Man another time. And I remember dressing up most late, the latest, the last thing I remember dressing up as like when I was 13 was, um, was Sting the wrestler. And, And so like, I remember this costume the most because like me and my dad had just gone to go to a wrestling event and Sting was wrestling that night. It was like a, like a WCW wrestling event. And so I had I got to buy his most latest face mask, which looked like when he was the Raven, like when he was kind of wearing white face paint with like just like the, the black lines. And he kind of looked a little bit like the Raven, like the movie The Raven. And, um, and so I had that mask. And... Uh, we didn't really have, or we couldn't find an NWO shirt at the time because that was a real big thing mm-hmm. back in that time. Mm-hmm. It was like 1993. And so my dad was like, we'll just make one. And I was like, oh man, this is, you know, I don't know. I think I thought like, oh, this is going to be lame or something. And then my dad came out and I remember he put all this masking tape on a shirt, totally recreated the NWO shirt, spray painted it like red or something like and he's like, oh, just let it dry, you know? And like, all of a nice. sudden I had a shirt and then, you know, the same thing, we got a wig and the wig was funny because the wig wasn't like, it was supposed to be black hair, but it's supposed to be like kind of wavy, kind of like feathered and like, and this was like an Afro wig, you know? So I was like, dad, I was like, Sting doesn't have an Afro. Like, this is crazy. He does now. And so, anyways, we rolled with it. Like, I had black gloves, and my sister was, like, a little princess. And so, like, it was, like, the, the hugest contrast. And um, and, and I, I literally, I don't, I'm not within arm's reach of it, but, like, that's, like, I have that picture of us, like, on, our, on my fridge. And uh, it was just, like, the last time I really dressed up, like, you know, like, as a kid anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, um so then let's let's transition from that and um and let's let's talk a little bit more let's talk let's get into like more of these memories but let's 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 talk about like your soccer story so like how did you uh first kind of find like the game of soccer and you know, how has your, your love kind of grown for the sport over the years? So um, I'm going to have to say it stems back to my grandfather um, because he was a huge um, soccer fanatic growing up as a kid. Um, of course, you know, you had all your deals that would gather every Saturday and they'd watch the soccer matches, but um, he was a devoted Monarcas Morelia fan. And, um, you know, always made it a point to go to matches and and whatnot. So growing up, um, I was more into the the Liga, um, you know, scene. And then I became a Manchester United fan. And um, then I got introduced to USL soccer. So, um, and it was funny because up until that point, I had kind of like... um, Soccer had kind of always been there, but it had kind of weaned into 
if I would catch a match, it would be cool to catch a match, but it wasn't something that I was just actively, um, you know, always looking for up until a few years back um, when I got introduced into USL soccer and it kind of changed my perspective and it kind of reignited my um, love for the game, the beautiful game. <laughs> so did you like ever play soccer like as like, oh, as a, as a young girl? at all or i actually played soccer not professionally i played soccer with the cousins and um because that was just what you do well i don't want to say it's just what you do but in our hispanic home it was a part of what we what we did we had soccer balls and things like that and we just go out on the field and have little mock matches and stuff um i never had the opportunity to join a a um team um i do think about it every now and then because we do have a couple of women's leagues out here where I'm at um, that are not professional. So <laughs> they would welcome an amateur as I, such as myself, you know? Right on. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you have to worry about, like, I don't think it has to be pro. I mean, it could just be anything. It could be playing in high school or, you know, playing with friends. Like, it could be any. any I actually sport. played tennis in high school, of all What's things. That? Because, yeah, tennis. Um, I also grew up playing tennis because my father was a tennis fanatic. So, um, grew up playing that my whole life. And then when I got into junior high, I, um, made one of the teams and then moved into high school, did that and played, um, for the first two years in college as well. So. Right on. That's awesome. <laughs> well, we got to know a little bit about our guest host, Veronica, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back from break, we're going to hop into the Hartford Athletic uh, recap. I'm Patrick Clayton when I hold the mic. Ghost them like the poltergeist. Cold as ice, roll the dice. Roll them. Because every rapper's walk, they roll this right. So if Slayer doesn't know when they tombstone, uh-huh. homies mad dogging because they loyal leather uh-huh. blue. No- All right, and now we're back from break. And you were you were listening to uh, cousin Fayo through the break. Um, cousin Fayo is a, a hip hop artist out of LA. Uh, he loves the game of football, and of course, loves um, to to uh, to rap over um, like special cuts. Really, like I mean, he he works with DJs from all over the different parts of the world. Um, you really get into cousin Fayo a little bit. Some of his projects. Um, he does like an a la carte project where he essentially does an album per each country and each album is named after a premier dish, um, some sort of entree there in the country. And, uh, and then of course he does other records, um, under the moniker of death at the Derby, um, which they do a uh, track like every month. And then when they get done with the season, they put out. A, a record or a CD dedicated to that mm-hmm. season. So, cousin Fayo um, is, uh, is, is like I said, is pretty pretty sick artist. I came across um, somewhere in the off season, and uh, so he was generous enough to let us use his music uh, on the podcast and kind of get folks into it. So that's who you heard during the break. That's who you will hear during the breaks on this pod. Um, so now we're gonna kind of talk a little bit about the Hartford athletic um, match that United had 
uh, when they had gotten back from playing Loose City. They played this match um, last Wednesday uh, at the lab. And, of course, the United's result with them is they, they did end up in a 1-1, no, what's one draw? 2-2. 2-2. Two, two. A 2-2 two, two draw, that's right. All these draws mm -hmm. lately, it's just so crazy. So they ended up in a 2-2 two, two draw. Um, there was only about 6,444 folks at the lab, which on a Wednesday, um, I guess with, you know, the pandemic like that is to be expected. I mean, typically on Wednesdays when there wasn't a pandemic, it was maybe about eight to 9,000 folks um, at times. And it really kind of depended on what the match was. If it was a rivalry match with El Paso, then there were a lot more people. Um, so yeah. really, uh, Veronica just wanted to kind of get into this match a little bit with you. Um, this was, again, we said this was a 2-2 draw against Hartford. So this was like their final match playing an East Coast opponent, um, an opponent which they hadn't ever played before. And, you know, for the most part, I think uh, most of us didn't really know too much about coming into the match other than Harry Swartz had played there the year before. Um, one of the, the big things about this match was that United was down 2-1 at some point in the match. Or I, mm -hmm. should, I, should, I should actually, let me go back a little bit. Um, let me go back a little bit. Um, United, United went up uh, on this, on, on Hartford. 1-0. Um, 26 minutes into the match, uh, Chris Weehan uh, chipped a ball to Sergio Rivas, who ultimately headed the ball in. So it was 1-0 United. And, of course, this play um, happened because uh, Josh Suggs, Juan Pablo Guzman, uh, Sergio Rivas, and Chris Weehan had been working on a play to, to try to score goals off of set pieces. Um, what what is your thought about about something like that? Um, Sergio Rivas had mentioned that they had been working on this play a long time and they had been really wanting to execute it, and they had finally gotten it off. And um, mm -hmm. I'm just curious, like, what your thought is about you know about them working together on on creating plays even this late into the season, and and seeing it go through and like. And then, of course, like just, you know, the after product of that. Well, I mean, I know initially when when the I believe when the goal did happen, everybody thought it was Dev that had gotten the goal in. Right. For like the first few seconds. And on then that, um, on that on that goal, there was there. It was, there was there was a confusion for about a second about who actually got the goal in. And then um, they cleared it up that it was indeed Sergio Rivas that had gotten the goal and with the assistance of Chris, Chris, assistance of Chris Weehan. Um, I'm going to say it's never too late to um, implement plays and practice plays to make goals occur. Um, you know, I'm sure they're going to be working on this during the off season, um, only to come back stronger for the uh, following season. Yeah, and the other thing that was crazy about that goal too, um, from the vantage point that I had saw it, was that mm -hmm. it didn't appear as if it had gone in at first either. 
Correct. Um, it, it looked as though the goalkeeper had saved it temporarily and then another player had got in and kind of um, prevented it from falling any further as well. And and that was uh, that was crazy to see from, from my vantage point. So Rivas scores that goal. And then Hartford Athletic would score right before the half. And they scored mm-hmm. because of a uh, handball penalty. Correct. So United is obviously building up play. Uh, they're on defense in the box. Hartford goes to kick it. And, of course, obviously you get a handball. It's like, what can you really do? you know, when a ball hits your hand. I mean, you could obviously try to, you know, not bring up your hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just hits your hand. It's like, right. What, what can you really do? I mean, it hits your hand. It hits your hand. There's not too much you can, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, this is not too much you, you can do at that point, you know. Yeah, like, this isn't this isn't rocket science, right? So, so unfortunately, right. they draw the game just before half off of a handball penalty. So this has the team drawn even 1-1. Like, I want to, like, just talk about what a first half looks like then for this team. Because they had just played Lou City, where they went down 2, or it was 2-0 initially in the game at Lou City. And then they found a goal to split the score just before half. Right. And they spent right. the majority of the second half looking for the second goal until Lucy found their third goal and kind of iced the game goal. for the rest of the match. So coming mm-hmm. into this match, it was like, okay, well, we need to obviously get back on the board first. We need to be able to, like, you know, find that part of our game where we score first. So United do that by, you know, getting this goal at the 26th minute but then they concede the penalty and then it's one, one at the half. And I'm wondering really at this point, like what um, coach Troy Lassane is saying, because I mean, like up until that point, I mean, they were controlling the game. They had a pretty dominant um, percentage of possession. Uh, they were mm-hmm. like, possessing the ball for like almost 60% of the game to like, Hartford's 30, 30 some percent of the game, but they didn't really have a lot of chances, a lot of, a lot of shots on goal. Um, right. And then, you know, it, it'd be funny to do a, um, cause you know, every now and then they do pan over to Troy on the sidelines and it'd be, it'd be curious to do a, uh, what, what do the hand signs mean every now and then, you know? <laughs> Yeah, because he's always like over there, like throwing his hands up, and he's always like. Sometimes he even jumps. Like I'm just like, I'm like, whoa, man, this guy's jumping in his suits. It's just, it's crazy. Like I, I saw, right. I, like to, I like to pan over and look at him sometimes. Um, so like, then they come out of the half, and immediately, um, they find themselves down two one. Uh, mm-hmm. RG, or, uh, Hartford Athletics scores with, like three minutes into the second half. I think it was the 48th minute they scored. Right, yeah, three minutes into the second half they score. Yep. And then United are down um, 2-1. Mm-hmm. 
Now, at this point, uh, then there. Uh, so, go ahead. So you you were there watching this match live, correct? Yeah. Okay. So, what was the like? You know, being there live, what was the um, atmosphere when they got that second goal from Hartford? Um, really, like the atmosphere was. Oh man, we've gone down a goal. Like, like it, it. It's a big match, right? Like, I mean, United were they had won three matches. Once he lose, City lost the match, and then mm-hmm. Hartford was like the next match they needed to win. So, in the implications of the game, when they went down to um, when they went down to one, it was like, okay, well. Now we got to find the second goal. You know, it was a lot different than going up 2-1 and trying to figure out how to close out a game and get a win, right? So now at this right. point, it's like we have to get a draw. We have to get a point, you know, and, I mean, that's pretty much the thought. But once that second goal goes in, it's just kind of like a little bit of devastation um, on how it on how it happens. I'm trying to – yeah, this match gave them – a point so that they mm-hmm. could slide back in the fourth. But the fourth, mm-hmm. yeah, but going into the goal, so Hartford was awarded a corner, is what it was, and it was basically headed in as an end swinger into the goal. So it was just a moment when um United has struggled with really addressing like set, like set piece corners and not having the proper height in the box to be able to uh, to be able to stop those or win the balls themselves. So they go down. Um, and, and ultimately I think really it was just the quality of passes were just kind of falling off at the time too. Um, United does find a way to even up the score to 2-2 um, when Devin Sandoval heads in the ball. Um, and, uh, and, and it was – it was Austin Yearwood who kicks a ball uh, towards Devin. It clips off mm-hmm. of a Hartford athletic player, and then Devin yeah. eventually heads the ball in. And I got to thinking to myself, like, you know, had that ball not headed, had that ball not deflected off of the Hartford player, like, would it have? still been online to go in by Devin or would he have been maybe like like moments late into getting that ball? Um I believe had it not deflected off of that player, he he wouldn't have been making that goal. And it's funny because during this match it's something that I noticed happened quite a quite a lot of few times is that um United was uh, passing the balls and they were just bouncing off of Hartford players, you know, but it made for some good chances that those, uh, you know, those guys were kind of there to uh, bounce the ball off of, you know? Yeah. Um, The other things that were, I I think for me, that were just things that kind of irked me or got to me in the match were just, um, were just bad giveaways for United. Um, They would have solid runs, they they would end up passing the ball or or uh, dropping it off to another player, and then there was just shot, shot hesitation. 
Um, I, I personally didn't think that there were always good decisions being made uh, with the ball when they were in the attacking half. Um, and, and it just seemed like, it just seemed like, um, shots were taken that didn't need to be taken. And, uh, and I, I had remember when I brought this up in the press conference to Troy and I just said like, Hey, like, you know, I thought there's some bad giveaways. And I think there were some wise choices being made in, in mm-hmm. the possession and, and, um, you know, he dis- he disagreed. Uh, he disagreed because he was just basically um, referring back to the fact that they had 83% possession to say that they had good possession and that they didn't have, like, there weren't maybe as many bad giveaways. But, I mean, one bad giveaway is one bad giveaway. Like, that's one bad giveaway right. to any, right? So... And and that's part of like of you know what we've you know discussed before with United is that um, you know a lot of times they come on completely on fire and then sometimes they come on like the communication just isn't there between them. Um, you know it'd be interesting to see where the insecurity and the lack of communication, um, where and why those things happen. You know with with our team at times. Well, and like no no team can be perfect, and games aren't necessarily measured by one moment. But I mean, one moment will change a game, like completely. Mm-hmm. You know, like so it's you know, and I remember I had also brought up that well, they pref- like Troy professes for them to take fewer shots and be high proficient. But I'm like, well, when you got guys who are who are not on target most of the night when they're taking shots, it's kind of like, well, how proficient is that? Because you, you got guys skying the bar over, not putting it on marks. Like you have uh, guys making clear runs at the goal, and then before they get there, they're like, let me dump it off to someone else, and then they dump it right. off. <laughs> And then the window is closed. Like all of a sudden, it does it doesn't look as open anymore because the guy who got it didn't kick it right away. He all of a sudden he danced around too, looking for the next guy. And then pretty soon it's like ah, oh, the opportunity was wasted. Um, so most of that match, that's what was going on with United. And then in the 80th minute, they bring in Christian Nava as a sub. So mm-hmm. they're bringing on Christian Nava. He's obviously, you know, he had, they had turned him pro sometime back. And he subbed him for um, Daniel Bruce, correct? Right. And so they brought, they were, yeah. they had turned him pro a little while ago. And this was mm-hmm. like his first match besides the debut. It was his first match after the contract of playing. Uh, what are your like initial thoughts about, about Christian Nava going into this match just drawn even 2-2 with like 10 minutes and some change left over. I mean, I I didn't see why so late in the match um, we needed to make that sub. Um, you know, it was it was already towards the end. I, I don't see how that benefited 
um, us and potentially breaking that tie. Yeah, I mean, like, my my concern is you want to give the guy quality minutes. And were we going to be kind of using Christian Nava the same way we used Daniel Bruce in the first year? Because, I mean, when we used Daniel Bruce, we were only really sending him in with the last 15 minutes. And he was basically designed to be like a spark into the game. Maybe he can come in and be a clutch guy and 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 help like like kind of invigorate like the way the game was being played, so to say. And mm-hmm. so we bring him on and uh, with at, at 80 and he's playing. And I mean, honestly, like like as I'm watching it kind of play out. I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, this could be interesting because th- they are trying to get a win here, right? And okay. so he, he comes in. I mean, he's able to win a couple corner kicks. He tackles a guy. He almost gets mm-hmm. to slide in on a ball. Like, he, he definitely does a lot within that 10 minutes. Um, and, you know, and so the thought is, well, like, man, like, what could he have done if maybe uh, head coach Troy Lassane had brought him in a little bit sooner uh, than that even? Um, and so anyways, like obviously United doesn't find the third score, nor does Hartford, who is still trying to um, trying to figure out if they can find it. Um, but the game ends in a draw. United ends up with 62% possession. And and we're kind of left looking at like some of the things on the night going, okay, well, United had 62% possession and possession is a stat that I don't typically always take serious, especially if it doesn't tell the full story, but it kind of does tell a little bit of the story for United. It just says like, look, like we had the ball a majority of the night we only got four shots on target. We scored two of the goals, right? Right. But then look at Hartford. They got they took they took 12 shots as well. They only had two on target and of course like one of them really was the the goal that scored. The other one was just the the other goal they got was the penalty. So, I mean, really, here's a team that had the ball less and did probably a little bit more than United. As more damage as, than than United, unfortunately. Yeah, just as far as, like, with the chances created. And, of course, you know, there are other numbers that, that would stick out, which are, like, United, you know, had 86 pass uh, success, 86% pass success. This was a... a this was a stat that the head coach Troy Sane was completely pleased with. You know, he was pleased with it. But like as I'm looking mm-hmm. at the stat, I'm like, okay, well, you're passing it 509 times compared to 273 times. It's like almost twice as much as the other team. And then when you start really digging in, it's like, okay, well, they passed it 321 times in their own half. So if you think about how United plays, I mean, a lot of the mm-hmm. ball movement is is swung around, like the inside to the outside and in the middle, and playing it back to the goalkeeper. Like that's all the touches they have, you know. And 
one of the things that they really like to dominate is possession. They want to dominate the passes. Obviously, they just seem to pass a lot on their own end, and I think sometimes that does result in like where the ball is given away because of so much movement and because the team's kind of figuring out their rhythm and figuring out where they can jump the line to to intercept the ball, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, ultimately from the Hartford match, like my biggest takeaway was just like, okay, well, um, you drew the match, you got a point, but every match is technically a big match when you're not clinching the playoffs. And yeah, that night they did sit in the fourth spot, but Austin also had two matches that they hadn't played yet. Well, I'm just going to say that, um, you know, this was a, in a way, uncharted territory for, you know, um, I definitely believe that they came out with um, a pretty good, um, pretty good fight to, to, to try to secure those three points. Um, unfortunately, we only walked away with one point. Um, I, yeah, they did have more possession of the ball, but um, on the playing field, it kind of looked like um, both teams were just wanting to get those three points for their own, their own team, you know? Um, Right Right on. Well, um, we're going to take another break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the Rio Grande Valley match on New Mexico Heritage or New Mexico True Night. We're going to the break right now. This is Triver, it's a real chance and Holland have got one back, 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 got one And we're back from the break. Again, you were listening to Cousin Feo. Check him out at CousinFeo.com. Check him out at Cousin Feo on Instagram or even Twitter. Uh, definitely pick up some music. Um, so so over the weekend, and, and really leading up to even the weekend, uh, United was... Certainly, just and they were kind of teasing or anticipating the New Mexico True Night. Um, you know, obviously, it fell in line with Hispanic Heritage Month, in which you were actually doing some posts on your own social media um, for mm-hmm. on a daily basis for a moment, right? To kind of commemorate each day, kind of with some sort of learning, something you didn't know, maybe. Yeah, correct. Like, um, it it went pretty good. Um, It was mainly just bringing to light the contribution of, you know, Hispanic people, Um, not just Mexican, but Hispanic as as an entire culture. And, um, you know, the contributions that we made to basically society and, you know, the sport of soccer a little bit um, as well. So, Um. So this seems like an appropriate time to ask, but like, as I'm thinking about um, New Mexico True Night and 
and how they were teasing um they were teasing some new item where they had both red and green chilies on and i was thinking about the spice but i want to throw a curveball and i want to say um like this is also like pumpkin spice your life month so like do you go crazy over pumpkin spice like is there like certain things that are a necessity to you and what's too much spice pumpkin spice that is yeah i don't necessarily dive into the whole pumpkin spice scene um i'm gonna say i i broke down and i had one latte like that last week but um not my thing really i don't get uh, you go to the store and everything is like pumpkin water pumpkin <laughs> cookies pumpkin cake it's just it's just not my my scene to do that i made the mistake of buying pumpkin spice air fresheners the glade air fresheners mm. i made a mistake of doing that because it was when pumpkin spice first came out so this was years ago this is like when the smell first came out and everyone was making a big big fuss about it and i thought all right well hey i'm gonna get it as an air freshener and i plugged that in the walls and literally like mm. after like the first like 10 minutes i was like no like this is not we're not my house is not gonna smell like this like it was like now, did it actually smell like a pumpkin, pumpkin pie, or a pumpkin? Uh... It smelled like pumpkin spice. So, um, it was like definitely the potpourri kind of vibe, but it was like it was just too, it was overbearing. Like it was too much for me. And my second, this I think the the second smell that's just as bad is like is apple apple potpourri or whatever apple cinnamon or whatever. I. I don't think you should have your house smelling like, like food. Like, that's not you know. I mean, it's it's too much like spice sticks. Like, I just can't do it. So, the pumpkin spice. I had to ask you because this is the time, and everyone is like going crazy about it. And I just had to know if that was something for you. But transitioning back yeah. to. New Mexico Heritage. Oh, what do I keep saying that? New Mexico True Night. Um, they had picture. They had pictures, red and green chili. And I know I like to sleuth around, and I figured out that. Well, obviously, that it has to do with New Mexico chilies. I really don't think it was something that anyone couldn't figure out if they, you know, have looked at other pictures of jerseys. So we're we're being teased about this new possible jersey so then friday night rolls around and the club social media decides that they want to launch the reveal of the kit so all of a sudden we see this kit and we see not only we we see the logo but we see that there are both a red kit and a green kit, like red chilies and green chilies. And of course, it's a cool video put together with the Academy kids. Mm -hmm. and, then it the Academy kids uh -huh. and then it transitions into just kind of like a male and female model um, wearing the kits, kind of showing off some of the different like angles or lighting effects of the kit, showing off the deep flames kind of designed into the kit, as well as 
the year 1990 to commemorate when the team was around up until now at 2021, I think the thing that I thought was most interesting was that the logo on the patch was a little different than like the original patch to say that mm -hmm. the chili kind of expanded beyond the circle on the patch. But I have seen other versions of the logo on authentic jerseys from 1990, and they did get the logo pretty much the same on that. They just added the words United underneath it to kind of make the whole New Mexico United tie. United theme. Mm -hmm. Right. So what was your impression? <clears throat> Not really seeing a whole lot of the previous... New Mexico Chili's gear or having kind of like, you know, that embedded in your brain and seeing it for the first time. Like what, what did you think about it? What did you like about it initially? Um, yeah, I thought, I thought the kids were absolutely amazing because it kind of took you back to, um, they really tapped into that Hispanic uh, kit vibe, you know, um, everybody that you knew, back in back in the day had a kit that was kind of similar to that and um so for me it just kind of took me back to that particular place and time and um i thought it was totally awesome that they did both the yellow sorry the red and the green um the red and the green kits for that you know so. like do you think that and this is not having known um too much about the I found out this week a lot more about the that team that was here a long time before United was here, you know, which is where they drew their inspiration from for this this particular kit. Do you do you think that had the kit come out on like some of those older jerseys like Umbros or the different ones that were around like back in the day? I may have I don't know if it was Umbro, but I my mind I just I some somehow I remember that, but um, do you, what if do you think that if the kits came out on older jerseys that were around back then, that it would have added some nostalgia, or do you think that it it didn't really matter necessarily what the brand was, but it was just more about like how much they hit the detail to you? Well, I mean. Yeah, I mean, definitely had that had that been something that they would have came out with back then, and then going forward, what thirty something years um, right. to today, you know, for the people that were there and for the people that would have remembered it, it would have been very nostalgic. Um, for me, it was just the cut, the cut of the the kit and the layout of the design and the little the patch, um, you know, even the green on green patch. Um, that's just uh, if you knew anybody that had a, you know, who was watching Liga back in the day and they, they had similar kits like that. So for sure, that's where you would draw that nostalgia from, you know? Yeah, I, I, I told you offline that I thought that green on green, I don't know. I personally would have thought that if you were creating just one jersey with the green logo, with the green with the green crest or whatever like okay i get that you do like a white shirt and you have 
the green crest. Like I, I guess when when I thought about how they were gonna be, how they were going to be doing a retro jersey, I thought that they were just gonna be kind of replicating something that was created. But I don't think mm. they ever really had red or green chili jerseys back in the day. So really, it was like they they got a chance to kind of take the logo and kind of take it a step further to where there were this there were these red or green chili ver, uh, f- flavored or version jerseys. But what's the thing that I thought maybe could have helped, and this is just me, like, because I like concepts, is I think that it would have been interesting if they would have had a green chili patch, too, because we really do push Mm -hmm. the green chili in this state a whole great deal. And so since you're already doing a rendition and then adding on your own touch. I just thought it would have been interesting to have had a green chili floating across and maybe a red circle at that. And then they could have just had two different true versions. And I think that it would have really complemented the kits well, the tops. So like, I mean, do you have like any like other thoughts about the kit? Well, I mean, for me, the biggest the biggest thing is whether I should get the red or the, the green, right? Um, well, what what goes into and, that? Huh? And what goes into that? What goes into that? Well, of course, as a woman, you want to make sure it matches your, <laughs> your style, right? Um, I'm very neutral, so I can actually wear both colors. But at the end, I decided to go with the green simply because... Um, I don't know, it just had a certain vibe to it that that I was totally digging at that particular time. Um, yeah, I, I maybe you know, maybe the patch could have been a different color, but in a weird way, it just it just kind of all comes together. Um, with the green kit and the green patch on that, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it was all in all, I mean, very cool kit. I hadn't mm-hmm. bought it yet, but they had scarfs that came out. And definitely had to get one of those because, you know, you just certain yeah. scarves seem to do really well at the team store and others are hard. And it was funny how they released get. the scarf because the scarf was kind of, um, it wasn't the forefront of the video, right? Um, it was more as you kind of kept looking that it's like, ooh, scarf, you know? And then, of course, you know, the scarves are reversible. So for me, it was like, well, cool. I can get this green kit, and then I can wear the red side for the scarf. And, um, you know, I can have it both ways in a way. (laughs) You definitely have to figure that when they created that, they created it for that very purpose. Because if they had made, like, it wouldn't have made any sense for them to make two different scarves. I mean, the kits... I'm probably glad that they are two different kits because if they were reversible, like that, I just feel like that wouldn't be the same effect, you know? Mm-hmm. I actually almost got both, but I decided right. not. You probably will at one point. So, um, probably. So then next, so that was, so that was a cool moment because in the stadium, 
it was pretty much people wearing fans wearing red or green jerseys, and then still people wearing the black and yellow, and people wearing uh, people wearing like the electric turquoise as well. Mm. So there was a good mixture of all the colors of the jerseys in the stadium. Um, so then they also had. It was also still Hispanic Heritage Month, so they were they were doing the mariachis, um, which was which was fun, um, and that was you know the greater part of the theme. Um, and then they also had a uh, naturalization ceremony, or like kind of or like oh uh, okay. yes. And I I I when I got there, or when I I got there when the game had started, but like I wasn't sitting or I didn't get, I don't think I went through an entrance or something I missed because I didn't know why we had so many American flags floating around the mm-hmm. stadium because it wasn't like it was 4th of July or it wasn't like it was an American independence kind of holiday. It was, you know, right. in my mind, it was like, well, this is, Hispanic Heritage Month, and we're doing the New Mexico True Night. I just didn't know where the, all the flags were for until, like, all of a sudden, there were like fifty folks lined up on the field, being um, recognized for becoming uh, U.S. citizens. Uh, what was your take on 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 just seeing that? I believe there were so many different countries being represented, like twenty-seven different countries. They were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I just truly believe it's it's you know what New Mexico United does as a community is that they um, you know they celebrate people, they celebrate different people, and um, becoming a citizen of this country is um, a goal. It's something that's not completely easy for most people to accomplish. It's very expensive and it takes a long time, and for these people to be celebrated. Um, it's, I thought it was absolutely amazing that they were celebrated on such a large scale in front of the entire community, welcome, welcoming them in as, you know, people of different um, countries now coming into this one country to, you know, make it what it should be, which is a melting pot of different types of people and ethnicities and, you know, everybody in one common mindset for a better good, you know? Right on. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, let's transition into the Rio Grande match, um, Rio Grande Valley uh, match versus United. Um, this was a another must win, or this was a must win match, as it was as it was uh, stated, um, simply because uh, both teams are still looking for a spot into the playoffs. There's only one currently at this point. Austin had played on Sunday and they had beat their opponent or sorry, they had drawn with their opponent uh, to go up one point in the mountain division. So they Austin's currently sitting in the fourth spot uh, with 40 points. United has 39 and RGB has 38. Um, now Austin is set to play uh, another t- or set to play a team. I believe it's Birmingham Legion on Wednesday of this week, uh, which is we're recording, we are recording on Tuesday night. So Wednesday, uh, they are set to play, and 
You know, obviously, if you're a New Mexico United fan, you're hoping ultimately for a loss. Um, so that way uh, it sets up United to potentially go up um, by two points after Sunday's match as long as United defeats San Diego Loyal or ties them with Austin if they draw. Um, so that's a big match for us as United fans to watch is the the Austin versus Birmingham Legion match on Wednesday. Um, that's on Wednesday, you said? Yes, that's Wednesday, so tomorrow. We should definitely all be tuning in to that's, that one. Right, so we're going to try to get this up before that match so that you'll be hearing this before then, but if it doesn't happen, you'll have seen the match and then have listened to this after the fact, and hopefully we got our predictions right. All right, so... So how um, scary! How scary were the first few minutes of the RGV match? What's that? <laughs> how scary was the first few minutes of the RGV match? Um, so let me tell you the context of that for me. I was getting a beer with a buddy. He was buying me one, rather, and we had just kind of sat down in a section, not the section that I was necessarily that I had tickets in at the time. And we sat down and literally it must have been like, I must have just looked over and saw that RGV was about to score. And I was like, it's just been five minutes in the match. Like what exactly? Right. And and I, from where I was sitting at, I was obviously sitting facing the players coming at us. So it just, to Mm -hmm. me, it just looked like they were just like right there and they just got that close into the box. But when I did a rewatch, I saw that basically what had happened is Mike Ozira and Andrew Tanari are playing deep mid defenders. And um, along the outside is Kaylin Ryden, uh, Rishi Tete, and Josh Suggs. And there's a point where... Um, Andrew Tanari runs up the field because he's highly active in, you know, advancing the ball and the ball gets headed back to where, it's, where Michael Zira is at. And Michael Zira gets the ball and basically I think he just turns the wrong way. Like Michael Zira had the ball at his feet and I think he was probably thinking that he should have kicked it out maybe towards mm-hmm. Tete maybe out that way or just anywhere else besides the way he went. But he turned around to kick it back towards Kalen Ryden. And then basically the RGV's players, uh, Kyle Edwards. They they were on him. They they were were on him so fast. They were already, Mm because they were already pressing high at the time. Right. Into the uh, defending half of United that they basically Mm -hmm. just caught him on a whim. And they were able to just just take it and, and run with it. And you could tell that it was like not a very smooth finesse type play because Kyle Edwards, who got the ball, he just kind of kind of almost like manhandled Michael Azir for a moment and just kind of mm-hmm. forced his way in and then shifted it over the last minute. I mean, that ball easily could have stayed on the feet of the guy who took it, and it may not have even been a right. goal. 
Right, yeah, I know that um, um, Brucey was trying to take the ball away in that particular pass, and that's how it ended up uh, being deflected by Azira. Yeah, but unfortunately, yeah, like I, you know, you look at his footing and it's like he, he wasn't sure in that particular moment whether he should turn and pass or <laughs> I don't know. We don't know what he was thinking, right? Um, and unfortunately, that's when by that by the, by the time he took that second to ponder that um, they were already on him, you know, descending on him like, you know, a bunch of seagulls. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, like, Kaylin Ryder didn't know what to do either. He was just like, oh, my God, like, this, you know. Yeah, they both went, oh, no. Yeah, it just happened so fast. It, like I said, it was just from the, the first angle I saw it, I just didn't understand how we let something happen that fast. But, I mean, right. like, they would classify that as a bad giveaway. And, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as, as we talked about in previous segments, you know, that when – when the team has got 83% pass percentage, pass accuracy, and then we're talking about a bad giveaway, it gets kind of overlooked like, oh, well, hey, we had this 83% pass accuracy. So obviously we weren't giving away the ball a lot, but it's like, okay, well, but you did. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, when you look at this game and, you know, spoiler alert, I mean, they had the same 83% pass accuracy and this is the first goal that was scored it's a bad giveaway like it matters you know and it it made all the difference in the game so i guess kind of originally going into this match like i wanted to kind of just look at a couple things uh united was in a 4-2-3-1 and not all the time do i think they get the graphic right on the u on the usl screen you know (laughs) because troy a lot of the times probably just gives them some sort of drawing at the last minute that's probably not the actual drawing that the players are in. They're never in the same spots, it seems. And then RGV was in what looked like a Christmas tree shape, Um, you know. But the thing about RGV's shape was that they had all their defenders at the back, but they were basically moving their midfielders up to the front and then moving their defenders up to the midfield. And they were just kind of – uh, infrequently pressing United, um, just trying to throw off the the load, so United couldn't figure out what they were doing, what the scheme was. Uh, I thought one of the one of the cool things that was kind of mentioned when I rewatched the match was that Daniel Bruce was getting his fifth start in a row, and I thought that that was that definitely says a lot um, about the sort of football he's playing right now if he's getting mm-hmm. five straight starts in a row. And if you think back to the matches that he's been playing in, I mean, he's really been playing like some some really good football. Yeah, he, he has definitely been getting um, a lot more play time this season um, out on the pitch that, than we saw in the previous season. Um, and, you know, Definitely has had created some good chances for um, United to, you know, potentially get some, you know, pretty legit goals scored in there. Well, and I mean, to that point that you make, uh, Daniel Bruce is just playing good football. Like, I mean, I think about uh, earlier on in the match where, where 
he's got where he, uh, he and Chris Weehan are basically passing with each other. He passes it to Chris. Mm-hmm. Chris gets the ball. And Daniel Bruce basically is in the spot where Chris Weehan's about to put the ball. You know, so they're obviously working on playing a little bit more indirect, you know, where, you know, it, it had a little bit of finesse, you know, and Daniel Bruce was uh, was definitely making the right side of the pitch his lane, you know, between getting the loose balls and, you know, being able to send balls into uh, into the goal box, you know, send nice crosses across. And essentially, like, you know, you can just see but like the IQ of his game is like really picked up. Um, mm-hmm. That was one thing that I, that really stuck out to me. Um, and the other thing too, was the United was playing a lot through the middle of the pitch. That was something I, you wouldn't rarely see because typically teams don't open up the middle like that on them. Um, they, a lot of teams don't typically press United in their defending half. They kind of stay off of them. So that United has to try to advance the ball through the pitch. And then what the teams do is they try to basically keep United wide so that they're going on the outer ends of the pitch. So there's not much of a lane there. So what happens is it bunches them all up and then they Mm -hmm. have a hard time trying to get back central to get to the goal. So um, in this instance, uh, RGV, like, didn't try to really block them out in the middle. They basically just said, hey, we're going to press you up high and try to get the ball in your defending half to see how well your defenders can possess the ball. And then we're also going to kind of sit back uh, in the back part of the field so that you can't, for the most part, send any balls over the top. But United still managed to do that. Um, What did you think about um, what did you think about like how United was transitioning through the middle of the pitch? Cause they, like I said, they normally don't get that sort of uh, entry. I mean, that's, that's definitely an excellent observation on your part. Um, giving me some more things to, to look at as we dissect this, this match. But um, yeah, now that you bring that up, definitely. Um, I believe that they just had to, reevaluate you know what they were used to doing um instead of being pushed to the sides they were kind of just going up straight straight down the middle you know i mean that would be the way that they would want it to happen like that's one way but they were sending balls over the top at some point which is where you saw like kind of the chances um mature a lot faster you know when when Michael Azira sends a ball over the top and Sergio Rivas catches the ball and then it was able to pivot, passes Chris Weehan, and Chris Weehan, you know, gets himself open and then basically blasts the goal into the back of the net over a goalkeeper, in fact. Um, mm-hmm. Like, that was the goal that basically brought the score even 1-1 um, between right. these two teams. Right. That one went flying kind of high, but it definitely – you know, got us that one that one tie that we, you know, needed at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that's two games where you go down or where at some point you're you're trailing the team and you're on your home pitch at that. Um, the 
other, I mean, there, so there were two observations that I made from that. I said, well, if, you know, if RGV was throwing up midfielders to play as forwards, as long as United could get back on in a transition fast, then they could obviously, um, they could obviously have a good shot at chances. But then the other observation is that like, you know, if RGV sent players up the middle, then United could send balls overhead. These both these things happened like over time. Like you just kind of you saw the game kind of develop or kind of like unfold before your eyes. Um, somewhere later into the first half, Daniel Bruce gets called off gets called offside three times. Um, the the lineup breaks were really were kind of clean. Um, and I think even Chris Weehan had got called offside. But I guess the thing that I thought about that was, you know, if Bruce was getting called offside three times, and, I mean, he literally, like, mm-hmm. it looked like he broke the line at the right time that the balls were being kicked. But if he was getting called offside that many times, just think about if he wasn't getting called offside those that many times. Like, then that was potentially, like, three opportunities um, to be maybe even taking a shot on goal or even setting up someone else who was close. And really, mm-hmm. like, how how well or how strong is United going to seem if they can just get the timing down correctly on staying onside when they're trying to go into an attacking? I mean, it's definitely something that they, um, you know, maybe now that they're, working on these potential plays, um, it's something that they're probably, you know, already um, in the works of, of trying to, to fix, you know, um, because, yeah, those could have created um, three to four chances for, you know, um, scoring some really good goals, which would have totally put them in the lead. Um, so maybe it's just a little more of that finessing that, they would need to do on the off times, right? Yeah, just just it just comes down to timing and just just working on just when to break those lines. So at the end of the first half, uh, that they had put up the stats, and so again we had sixty four percent possession. We only had one shot on target, and we had like three shots, and we had what we had one shot on target. The same with RGV at the same time. Of course, we had six offside calls at the time. So, again, those six offside calls just, you know, you consider that those could have been potential chances created. Like, that's something that they would have to approve and prove in the second half. Um, so, second half kicks off. Uh, it, it, it For the most part, it seemed like it, it was good but it was getting kind of chaotic around the 59th minute there was a point i think when when new mexico was just trying to kick a ball trying to find a goal um and i just remember when i watched it the second time around it was like Uh it seemed like all bets were off like people were just kicking balls trying to make something go in the ball went to the other side rgb tried then it came back to new mexico and then they tried to just hammer in a second goal like it was pure chaos is the way i wrote it down on the way i focused on it um but ultimately it got to a point 
where where uh, RGV always had like a player on the counter. Like there was always someone, you know, that they had when New Mexico had that many players up there trying to trying to get a score in. Mm-hmm. Like, what were some other things you kind of saw uh, in the second half or moments in the second half that you thought would ultimately help United? I mean, you know, first of all, you kind of you kind of see. Um, I don't want to call it the desperation, but maybe it's the zeal for wanting to get that that goal. You know, um, to make it like a two one. Um, and I really believe that that's what United was was pushing for. And unfortunately, of course, RGV was also pushing for the same thing, which I think is what caused them to be in this kind of like neck and neck, like back and forth type of situation. You know. Um, I mean, I would definitely say as, you know, New Mexico's uh, confidence grows on the pitch with um, just the, you know, the communication and, um, you know, the, 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 maybe they stop the hesitation and, you know, they, it's definitely a team that does play with its heart, but um, sometimes under pressure, I think that those things get forgotten. Um, I think if they maintain that, then their instincts, they'll know exactly how, how they should be passing so that they can advance and so they can advance themselves. Yeah, good point. Um, I didn't really see too much else in the second half personally. Um, mm-hmm. And I tried to watch it like a few, t- few more times just to see like if I was really missing it, but I just didn't really notice anything else that happened in that match. Like, like we made some subs, which I mean, which were key. We we brought in Cello, we brought in Salim Mohammed and Austin Yearwood, and then we brought in Christian Nago, like with almost two minutes left in that period and like just about five minutes of stoppage time. And I'll say that the Cello sub was good because you know obviously he was able to create and send some balls into places. And we needed that, mm-hmm. especially when we took out Daniel Bruce. Um, for Salim Muhammad and Yearwood, like I felt like they came in and pretty much maintained the level of defense, but I don't feel like they themselves really stuck out the way they do when they start matches, you know, like setting a tone. Like for them to come in and just pick up, like Muhammad came in for Azira, and that's almost a pretty level or equal switch. Um, Yearwood came in for Najem, and that's about the same. So I feel like they came in and maintained, but I just don't really feel like they changed the game scope anyway. Um, Correct. I mean, RGV was definitely, you know, I think I counted maybe three to four um, times that they attempted to try to make a goal on United. So they were definitely staying, keeping us on our side of the pitch, right? Um and that's just, you know, the the observation that I kind of saw to where, you know, once again, it was it was that we need to, one of us needs to score that goal to break this tie. Um, and neither team could accomplish that, you know, in this particular match. Um, but I definitely did see that they, they definitely made their way more to our side of the, <laughs> the pitch because they were, they were just going and I counted four shots that they were trying to get in that, you know, got deflected by our guys, or just um, they weren't they weren't making that goal. You know. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, like it just got to a point in the game where 
I think RGV was was fine with just getting the point. Like they just didn't want to lose. I mean, because right. the possession was still pretty much 60 30 uh, United to RGV towards the end of the match. So they were probably getting in for those quick shots and then just basically giving the ball back to United and just trying to defend against them. Um, but Christian Navasub, with like only like two minutes to me, I just thought, I just didn't understand like why we were doing that sub. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. had we, had we, had the game gotten stale, had we gotten to a point when nothing else was happening, let's throw in like our, our young, uh, first team signing and try to get something to happen in a clutch time. I mean, I guess it's, I don't know, like, you know, if maybe they plan that sooner um, or, or if it just came down to the fact that they thought, Oh, what the heck, let's just throw them in. Cause we wanted to, but the game got away. I don't know. Um, but you know, for the, the little bit of time, I mean, he was definitely trying. Like, I mean, you know, in watching him, like, when he was playing in stoppage time, I felt like there was definitely some times where he wanted to just take a shot. Like, like looking at him, like, because I was standing in front, there were definitely times where it felt like, oh, dude, Christian, I was just going to sling the shot in this goal right here because we needed the goal. Mm-hmm. He knew it. He was coming down. But then he held up, and he passed it off to, like, whoever was the nearby player. And I just thought to myself, like, you know, is like, is that the sort of like, is that the intangible right now? Like is coach saying, Hey, before you go taking a shot, look to see if you could pass it to anybody. Like, you know, it's like that whole thing with basketball. It's like, you can't just be the guy shooting all the time. So do you got to, we got to pass the ball five times and whoever gets it like after that gets the shot if it's unless they want to pass it. And it's like, you know, I just hope that on the broadcast, they were saying that like he's playing fearless and that Troy wants him to play fearless. But when I watched him play, I was like, man, like why didn't he just, he could have just kind of went for it, but he passed it off at the last moment. And I just, I can't wait to see him when he just kind of, just goes for it, just goes in. Like when maybe the other players just say, hey, man, like, look, if you're coming straight down a lane like you were, just take the shot. Take the shot. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a player to start to watch out for. Yeah, and I I feel like you're going to see it from other guys saying, hey, take the shot, take the shot, because he passed. Mm -hmm. You know, he passed, and, and I don't think he needed to during that moment. Um, but as we were in the press conference, you know, it was like, well, you know, I think that someone had made a comment or maybe it was on the broadcast about he's, oh, it was on the broadcast about, oh, well, he's just not going to take a, a shot from 30 yards out. He's going to look to see if he, he can pass it first, a little bit more controlled. And I'm like, well, it's a matter of opinion. You're like, why? <laughs> it's a matter of opinion. Like, I think it's, it's a matter of probably experience and, and instinct, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, um, yeah. And, and who knows? Like, we haven't seen him take a shot yet, so we don't know. But nonetheless, that's kind of how I think that went. I This game ended. Like, this this game pretty much ended. Like, once once Nava came in and, and, and we didn't score, this game ended. <laughs> there was not anything else that that I really saw. That really occurred past, past that, you know, us trying the, the match. What's that? 
I said that there's really not much that occurred um, past us tying the match in a way. Yeah, it just kind of went stale. I mean, the the, okay. the final match stats showed that we had three more shots and we had one more shot on target and we still have maintained the majority of possession. So it's like we did it. We did the same thing in the first half and we did the same thing in the second half. And again, all that possession didn't really amount to much. And, and in the press conference, Troy was saying did say as much to say that um, that the effort of the night wasn't good enough that, you know, that they only got two shots on target and they had the ball like 60% of the time. And the majority of their possession um, didn't amount to more chances because they had that same possession mark through both halves, you know? So um, yeah, so that, that definitely is something that you got to like kind of put an asterisk next to is like, United with a lot of possession, but doesn't really create a lot of chances. Um, and so they they draw this match, and and ultimately, you know, let's just go ahead and transition, obviously, into the San Diego Loyal preview. Um, that is mm-hmm. the match coming up on Sunday. So, um, so New Mexico travels uh, to San Diego Loyal. Um, Let's see here. San Diego Loyal is currently second place in the Western Pacific Division. Uh, they have they are 14, 4, and 10. That's 14 wins, 4 draws, and 10 losses. They've got 46 points. They're sitting uh, second on the table, clearly uh, behind Phoenix Rising. Orange County's sitting behind mm-hmm. them with 37 points. Um so I guess really just going into this match, um, like if I'm addressing New Mexico United, uh, I think that the things that are, are that are concerns uh, for New Mexico going into a match with San Diego, um, and Chris Weehan said this much in the press conference, but you, you could also kind of see it in the statistics too. San Diego loves to hold the ball. Like they love to have about sixty percent of the possession too. Now, if mm-hmm. San Diego loves to have a high percentage of possession, and United has lately had a high percentage of possession, like what would that game look like on the pitch? <laughs> um, I mean, it's. It's, I mean, San Diego is definitely becoming a force to be reckoned with, right? Um, as is New Mexico United, but um, I think we're just going to see, we're going to see a good old skirmish, a good old fight with uh, two teams just going neck to neck, um, you know, in, in attempting to create those uh, goal chances and ultimately to to win that, that match. Um you know, I I think we're gonna see <laughs> a lot of just um, I don't know. It's it's a they're they're both pretty comparable to each other in a way at this point with their playing styles. You know. Yeah. So like a couple things. Um, so San Diego definitely does execute their shots. Like they definitely do create a lot of chances. So like, Mm -hmm. 
I think one of the things that will be um, that will be interesting kind of between the teams is going to be what they each do in their possession. If United continues to um, possess the ball for a, a, a high amounts of time, but they are so focused on just high proficiency shots, so they don't take mm-hmm. too many shots, um, meaning they don't then they don't create many chances. Now, I wondered if whether their style of play will affect San Diego to the fact that San Diego will also not have as many shots, or if when San Diego gets the ball, they'll be able to turn around and fire off tons of shots like they normally do. Um, that's one thing that's I mean, gonna... I mean, United definitely cannot be on the defensive for this match. Right. You know, they're going to have to come yeah. in on attack mode. They're going to have to, but there's going to be a point when they're on the defensive. Like, that's just going to be bottom line um, <laughs> about it. It's just going to have to be how reactive they are versus proactive when it comes to challenging players. Like, they can't they can't let players advance on them in the defending half. Like, they just can't. Like, they're going to have to step in and make tackles. Like, that's just what they're going to mm-hmm. have to do. If they don't, then obviously they're going to just give more space to San Diego. Um, I'm looking at some comparative stats on the two using this app. And um, so, like, ultimately, like, San Diego has scored uh, 39 goals from open play, whereas New Mexico United has scored 25. So, I mean, that right there would just show you, like, that they're, that they're obviously um, getting more opportunities. Uh, San Diego's got five goals from set piece. New Mexico's got seven. Um, New Mexico's got two goals from free kicks. Uh, each team has got one penalty kick, and each team has gotten an own goal um, against themselves. And um, when it comes to the attack, uh, United has 3.9 shots on target per match, whereas San Diego has 4.9. Um, and for the most part, like their chances created or missed seem about the same. Um, and goals per match slightly favors San Diego Loyal at 1.6 to United's 1.3. On the defensive side, they each really do average about the same goals given up per match at like 1.3. Alex Tambakis has seven clean sheets, so he's got seven as opposed to San Diego Loyal's keeper. I'm guessing would be Austin Guerrero, who's probably in the Nets versus Trey Muse, uh, just because he's been playing so much for them. Um, uh, there really aren't too many other numbers. Maybe the only other number that's going to be really interesting for these two teams is they both pass about the same amount of time, about the same amount of, of time in the game. Like they both they, they both average like over 370 passes. Uh, they both. Wow. They both pass the majority of it in their own side of the pitch, moving the ball from side to side. So it actually might be a very similar style of play between the two two clubs 
as far as how they do um, certain things. Um, I do think that there it will be a physical game, and I do think that there will be a lot of yellow cards. I, I would agree with that. I really think that these, these two teams are just going to really go at it. Um, but I think it's going to be respect, though. I like I think that the, the clubs the, the clubs respect themselves each other, so I don't think it's going to be chippy, like the way it would be with Phoenix. But I do think that it's going to be like a high level of play. Not not at all, and and you know I can tell you that this is one of the most um, anticipated matches for, you know, um, the fans out in San Diego. Um, it's been the match that's been talked about for quite a minute. Um, everybody's very excited to have, um, in a way, to host also the New Mexico crowd out in San Diego territory. Um, you know, there's a battle on the pitch, you know, but, um, you know, it's it's just uh, two teams that do have a lot of respect for each other. Um, and it's it's going to be, it's going to be very fun to watch them um try to both uh you know win this particular match because it is important for both teams to <laughs> win this particular match right um well so if I think San it's gonna be, it's <clears throat> well if san diego wins the match they they can clinch the second position in the table hmm. so that's what's on the table for san diego and then if United wins the match, provided that Austin loses, loses their or match. even draws, then they could potentially tie. Let's go with loses their match. <laughs> right. They could potentially go ahead of Austin, even though they'll still be one match ahead of Austin until the following mm -hmm. Wednesday, where Austin should be level again because – They'll play a match Wednesday and then Saturday. So they'll pretty much have caught up to everyone else by that point. So it's a critical match for sure for both, but United need it a little okay. bit more as far as clinching the playoffs is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked a bit about Hartford Athletic. We've talked about Rio Grande Valley. and We've talked a little bit about San Diego Loyal, as far as um, what the teams do offer on the pitch. Um, I do know that members from the Curse and Black Diamonds and perhaps maybe one of the other supporters groups will be making the trip out to San Diego. Um, uh, so it should, it should be a pretty um, bolsterous, loud cheering I think from both them and then as well as the Chablos and uh, locals, the Rainbow Oils, um, just you know the different groups. Definitely shout out mm -hmm. to, to to San Diego supporters groups um, as well. Uh, should be good. But I guess uh, any final thoughts as we wrap up this episode? We definitely, we definitely. This is one for the ages. It's so we a nice long. <laughs> long one for folks who wanted something to listen to before the match. Any final thoughts? Yes. Um, well, I am completely excited for um, this Sunday's match. Um, like I said, it definitely has been something. It has been one of the matches that 
everybody on both sides is just anticipating, you know? Um, it's two teams that have a lot of respect for each other, two phenomenal um, coaches, and it's just going to be, I think, an experience, definitely, um, that, you know, we'll be lucky to, to participate in live, right? So I'm definitely excited and looking forward to, to this weekend for that match. Right on. Well, I'm glad that you could come on the episode and be a guest co-host um, and give your opinion of what you saw with the matches and definitely share a bit about your soccer story and also um, talk a little bit about your uh, childhood memories uh, with Halloween. My final thought <laughs> is that I am going to be looking for candy corn uh, because I don't really like candy corn after like the mm. first like five minutes of eating candy corn, but man, candy corn is slightly good. If you're listening to this podcast episode and you got to this point, Carl, Harry, uh, you know, shout out to you guys. I need you guys to tweet the uh, Seek and Strike NM account with your favorite Halloween candy. Um, and I'll, we'll, be, we'll be looking out for that on Twitter. Um, this has been another episode. I'm like, it's, you know, I told myself I was going to change the way I, I outro this. So I'm going to do that now. So uh, thanks for joining us. Catch us on the next episode and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast brought to you by the beautiful game network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie-cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.